The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. What rules are you operating by? I don't mean the rules as in the systems of the game, rather the rules that you, as a human being, assume to be real. What rules am I operating under, and how can I challenge them? Jay's gonna bring me back Give me a plus one to attack Oh, 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 I want to come back to the dice Whoa, oh, 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 I think I need some good advice I need a roleplay rescue Oh, yeah Hello Rescuers! Last time, I shared my vision for approaching role-playing games as a sacred imaginary birthright, a means to transcend, if only for a little while, the mundane rush of everyday life and replace it with worlds of wonder shared through collaboration with other human beings. Collectively, we have the ability to imagine and create for ourselves shared secondary worlds, inhabit them with characters whom we individually care about, and share their stories through the medium of the role-playing game. Building on this vision, today I want to explore some thoughts that have been bubbling under the hood as I have been wrestling with my diagnosis of generalised anxiety disorder. Together with social anxiety, this struggle has been a quest to understand the workings of my mind and emotions. The path of recovery has included some cognitive behavioural therapy through which I am still working, thus my words today are very much a work in progress. This is the reason for me asking you to listen with a mature mindset, coming not to judge my words as if they were a final declaration, but rather to give a hearing to the working out loud of a portion of my therapy. Today I want to explore the rules that I have over a lifetime of gaming and role-playing constructed around the concept of being the Game Master. I feel it necessary to also work out some of the rules that I have constructed around what it means to be a player, but that might need to wait for a later episode, simply because, taken together, this would be a huge topic. Thus, today I am going to submit to you the rules of being a GM as they currently exist in my mind. These are all open to challenge and, in fact, are already undergoing challenge. This is where I began when, on the 9th of November 2020, I was sent home from work and consequently diagnosed with generalised anxiety disorder and social anxiety. My purpose is to begin to rock the foundations of these rules and share with you the journey into finding some that are perhaps more helpful. This is Season 8, Episode 2. 13 Game Master Rules As I understand it, within the theory behind Cognitive Behaviour Therapy, or CBT for short, our thoughts lead to emotions and, in turn, to behaviours. Thus, what we do is rooted in what we feel and think. By extension, what we think is rooted in a litany of rules – in common parlance, we might simply say that these rules are our beliefs. The common example of this is to look at the behaviours surrounding queuing for a bus in the UK. What are the rules for queuing in my part of the world? 
Whenever I ask this, and I have been asking around just so that I can check to see if anyone else shares the rules that are in my head, the most common answers are that you should stand in a single file line facing in the direction from which you expect the bus to arrive. If you arrive and someone else is already waiting, then you are expected to stand behind them in the line. People are expected to stand relatively still and quietly. Before boarding, many say that you should have your bus pass or money ready to quickly pay for travel and then go directly to take a seat. Before boarding, you should wait for people already on the bus to disembark. The fun stuff begins when you ask what happens when someone breaks the rules of the bus queue. There is a specific rule about taking your place at the end of the line and that implies that it is wrong to cut into the line, forcing yourself ahead of others who are waiting before you arrived. Breaking any of these rules threatens the agreed social contract around waiting for the bus. When threatened, people feel anxious. That anxiety can quickly turn to anger and see people arguing or even an extremist fighting over their place in the queue. My point is that we all function within the framework of the rules that we have internalised and that we expect other people to both know and accept that these rules are true. But what if you go to another country where the same rules don't apply? When I visited Belgium for the first time, I was faced with a period of confusion as I realised that there really wasn't a match between how we in Britain queue and how the Belgians do it. At the time, I initially concluded that there were no queuing rules in Belgium because it appeared that you simply muscled your way onto the trams in the city. And let's not even get into the rules around buying tickets. I'm probably wrong about those rules, but I just couldn't figure them out. But I digress. Rules equal beliefs. Not everyone shares the same rules as you do. The mismatch causes us to feel fear, to be threatened, and that can lead to anger. Actually, people might simply freeze up in the face of a rule violation. If the person cutting the line is intimidating enough, then I will probably just stay quiet and mumble about it in my head. Alternatively, I might flee from the scene. If the queue is chaotic enough, I might feel safest simply walking away. But for me, if I'm honest, the initial reaction is usually somewhere but on the spectrum of anger. Yes, I might feel ticked off. I might describe it as frustration. I might even be pretty hacked off. These are all synonyms for the primal emotion. Anger. By the way, it amused me no end to hear the voice of Yoda in my head. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. And hate leads to suffering. I have always found a thread of truth in Buddhist thinking. And Yoda articulates it in a nice, simple manner. Anyway. You can work out the rules under which you are operating by observing the behaviours that you display. It didn't take long before I started to think about the rules under which I operate as a game master. I began looking at my behaviours. I thought it might be helpful to share that line of thinking with you. Before we dive in deeper, however, let's be clear about two things. Firstly, my role-playing hobby has not been working out very well for a number of years. In short, I seem unable to focus on any game for very long, and I usually bail out long before session 6, generally even before session 3. I was curious as to why. This implies that my rules are in fact not helping me to play. Secondly, some of the rules might well be helpful. What I am looking to identify, however, are the rules that are no longer helpful. 
Helpful rules can be checked out and validated. Unhelpful rules can be challenged. And that is my intent. Looking at my game master behaviours would allow us to look at the beliefs that might lie beneath them. This is not a quick process, by the way, and it requires you to deploy some tools to detect the rules beneath the actions. I'll try to share some of the rules and explain how they manifest in my actions. From there, we can ask, is the rule true and is the rule helpful? So, what stops me from carrying on a game beyond session three? The number one reaction to that question is fear. To what then am I reacting with anxiety? Two big things loom in my consciousness in response. First, I fear that my players will not approve of what I am running or how I run it. Secondly, I fear that I will not be able to prepare adequately to run the session. Before going further, we need to make sure we understand the nature of the condition of worry. In simple terms, worry is a response to uncertainty. Worriers like me are super sensitive to uncertainty and also have a lower tolerance to that uncertainty than most other people. As I keep saying to colleagues and friends, I am not comfortable with ambiguity. Actually, ambiguity scares the crap out of me. Socially, I'm anxious about what other people at the gaming table are experiencing. My first rule is that playing games should be a positive and exciting experience for everyone at the table. The problem is that I find it really hard to validate when the people around me are having a good time. My strategy for reading people is to enter into a hypersensitive, hyperactive state of observation to try and determine what people are thinking and feeling. This leads me to ask questions like, are we having fun yet? And how are you doing? And what do you think about the session? I am seeking validation as a game master because of the second rule. It is the game master's responsibility to make sure the players are having a good time. Right now, I'm going to leave those rules hanging out there and hold off from making judgments. Let's go further. What about the fear of preparation? I fear that I will not be able to prepare adequately to run the session. What do I do to prepare? All the things. I read all of the books relating to the game rules, and if we are playing in a world provided by the game's authors, all the books relating to that world too. This causes me to collect books, by the way. I collect them so I can feel safe. I then feel a compulsion to read them. I can't usually manage that because games companies are great at publishing stuff for me to buy, so I end up feeling overwhelmed. Eventually, my strategy of information gathering fails in the face of too much information and not enough time, so I simply stop reading. I procrastinate. Eventually, the session looms closer and I bail on the game. I can't run it because I don't know enough stuff. Rule 3. The GM needs to know everything about the game system and the game world before play begins. Hmm. So what else do I do to prepare? I need to know the entire content of the adventure. Actually, I find this paralyzing because of rule three, the need to know everything. So I prefer to run games in which there is an open field of loosely defined locations and then focus on knowing about the projected next location. 
Thus, I prefer sandbox games in which the players tell me where they intend to go next session. I can't bear forcing the players down a single pathway, however, because of Rule 4. Rule 4, the GM should not force the players to play their pre-designed adventure. And this is because of Rule 5. The player is sovereign over their character. Uncertainty over what actions the players will take leads me to try and cover all the bases. I don't really trust my abilities to improvise. That might go okay, but equally it might not. That's too uncertain for me, so I would prefer to prepare. That leads me to try and write notes for every location. I need to know how I will describe the location, what's there, including monsters and treasure if you're playing fantasy for example, and then to consider how the opposition might respond to all the possible actions the player characters might make when they arrive. So I am working out tactical options too, which gets me referencing the rules to make sure I know how all those rules work before we get to the scene and the players do that specific thing. As you can see, each possibility that I try to cover leads me to more uncertainty. What if they do that? What if the dice don't go the way I expect? That is, by the way, why I hate swingy dice mechanisms. As you can see, all this is a lot of work. It's a lot of stress and worry. It tires me out quickly. Usually, I end up exhausted and miserable and simply stop. The day of the session looms and I bail out. Sometimes I legitimately make myself ill doing this, by the way. Being ill is a more certain feeling than trying to prepare to run a game. I'd rather be ill than GMing. Holy crap. Rule 6 appears to be that the GM should be prepared to handle whatever choice the players make. Rule 7 seems to be that the GM should never look stuff up at the table. Rule 8 is that you should always make honest die rolls. No fudging, be open, be bound by the result at the table. Rule 9 is that the monsters, the opposition, should always act in a rational and tactically understandable way. Rule 10 is that the game world needs to make sense to everyone at the table. My goodness, that's a litany. And there are more rules yet to uncover. But I don't know about you, I feel exhausted already. Rule 11. Players expect you to be able to answer any question they ask. Rule 12. Players expect you to challenge them, but ultimately to let them win. Rule 13. It's wrong to kill the player characters. Where do these come from? If a PC dies, I feel awful. I feel like a failure. I feel like a murderer, actually. No word of a lie. If the players are losing a combat, I will want to help them win. I will want to fudge the dice, but Rule 8 forbids this, so I will instead start dropping hints, suggestions, or rationalising less than optimal monster decisions. This is made easier if the opposition are low intelligence. Therefore, I prefer goblins and zombies in my fantasy games, which gets old but is predictable enough for me to feel safe. Rule 11, that the players expect the GM to be able to answer any question they ask. This fuels my skill of improvisation, but also my fears around whether the whole imaginary construct can hold together. The most terrifying moments at the table are when a player spots an inconsistency in the fictional world. Rule 10 has been violated, and I am a failing GM. At this point, my therapist would tell me to A, take a break, and B, to ask if my expectations are too high. Of course they are. I can see that in a rational sense. And that's the point. Fear isn't rational. 
but at least we have the first 13 rules and have brought them into the light. The next step is to challenge them. In this, my friends, you can become part of my therapy. Are you shouting at me yet? If you are shouting at me, railing against my words and my clearly foolish beliefs, then you have a different set of rules to me. I just violated your rules, I challenged them, and you might even be feeling threatened. And that's fine because it's quite possible that what I believe isn't very helpful. That's the reason I'm making this episode. And here's how you can help me. Find the rule that you most disagree with and call in to tell me why. If you can manage it, keep it to just one minute so that I can combine the calls that I receive into a future episode on that specific rule. We can work through this together and, if you want, it can help me rock the foundations of my GM rules and maybe replace them with some more useful alternatives. Questions are useful here. Statements are threatening. And I'm okay with those, but questions, they're a really great tool. So come on, if you're shouting at me, what do you want to ask me? Open up your phone's voice recorder and just do that, ask me. Email your file to hello at rpgrescue.com. Or if you want, open up the Anchor app and send me a one minute message using the message button. Whatever works. To be honest, I'd prefer a voice message I can share, but I'm also happy, I guess, to get words via email. I can read those out over the air if that's better for you. Although, to be honest with you, I will be worrying about whether I read it in the right tone of voice. So if you're worried about how it comes across, actually, a voice message is the best thing for me. But please, dear listener, please help me out. Help us worry us out. Which rules are more helpful? Which rules do you feel are unnecessary and why? If you are shouting at me, I can't hear you until you record the message and press send. Thanks in advance for your help. Game on. Hi Jake, Derek calling in again. I've just finished watching 6-3 today. That's the interview with uh, Craig and talking about the Secrets of Blackmore movie until they heard uh, the history behind uh, the growth of role-playing games in the 70s. As I was watching it and listening to some of the things that were said, I was reflecting a lot on attention span and wanting to get from A to B as quickly as possible and people start playing role-playing games, or at least that was the observation that was being made. And I couldn't help but think about the way that things have changed in terms of adverts. I always think that when I was watching Star Trek as a kid in the 70s, um, episodes were 49 and 50 minutes long. And by the time Next Generation came along in the late 80s, we're talking 44 minutes an episode. And these days, if you get 40 to 42 minutes for an episode of any science fiction or any one-hour program from the States, you're doing well. And that just reflects the fact of... um, the growth of adverts and the frequency and pace of change in movies. I mean, my goodness, talk about your camera shots and flickering of eyes and everything going on. So I think it all contributes to uh, a, a shortening of attention span and a feeling of rush in life. And uh, certainly I've been reflecting a lot on the slowdown that we've all had to go through 
in lockdown and how much of a difference that has made to us, or not as the case may be. But that's for another time. I was also thinking about your observation in terms of uh, get the swords out, hack away uh, to when you walk into a room of monsters, whatever they might happen to be, and then, um, as you yourself observed, growing a bit later to not be so hack and slash. And I was thinking back to my first ever Advanced Dungeons and Dragons character. The uh, DM I had at the time didn't really believe in rolling up first and second level characters because he didn't think they lasted long enough, so we always started at third level. So I had a level three fighter, didn't really know what I was doing. And when it came to any conflict situation, I remember my response nearly always being, I'm loosening my sword in its sheath, because I'd read a lot about that in novels and uh, that involved swords where they would um, loosen the sword to draw from the, the scabbard or the sheath as quickly as possible. And I watched how others were playing the games, the more experienced players, and learned from them. And before long, I, I was hardly ever touching the sword and more often talking and trying to negotiate. So I think maybe it might be something that we all go through when we um, come into role-playing games to begin with. And certainly when a culture where uh, the video game is sword and gun resolves everything through uh, with not really much else going on unless you play RTS games, then um, I think that's going to infect how we do games to begin with. So anyway, that's just my thoughts on it. And um, I hope you're doing well at this time, mate. And uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. Take care. Bye. Thoughts and ruminations there from Derek. And thanks very much, mate. Great to hear from you. Um, I'm going to let it stand, really. I think what you said is just fine. And uh, I just wanted to share the reflections, really. So uh, all I'm going to do is say thank you for those thoughts and move on. I got a call from Josh Beckelheimer. Now, this was originally aired in Dungeon Master's Diary, episode 59. What I've done is slightly edited Josh's call just to kind of keep it a little bit briefer because I thought, well, it was a great commentary on anxiety. Let's hear what Josh had to say. Hey, Jay, uh, Josh Beckelheimer here. So I've been meaning to send you this message for a while. I listened to your Dungeon Master Diary, what, 57 unclenching or something well anyways I was listening to it and you know me and you have a lot of the same I wouldn't say issues but anxiety stuff when it comes to gaming we often jump back and forth between game systems game worlds whatever it is and I think it's difficult when you have anxiety to keep yourself interested and focused because even if it's things that you love to do, it's, it's weird because you just don't have a desire to do it. You just need to hurry up and move on and do something else. And then eventually you go right back to it. And obviously it hurts, you know, your players. Like I, even my daughter has gotten upset with me before and was like, are we actually going to stick with the game this time? Because she's been getting sick of, you know, having a character maybe level one to three area and then moving on to a different game system. And yeah. It's tough. Hey, Josh. Great to hear from you. Thanks so much for calling in. All I can say to this bit is I hear you, buddy. Um, yeah, you're not wrong. I think I'm getting to the bottom of a lot of what it is. 
that kind of keeps me moving in those kind of ways and I'm looking at ways in which I can combat that and I guess that the heart and theme of season eight is going to be about you know how to take this um this generalized anxiety social anxiety and um you know change the way I think and behave um but I don't have any easy answers I guess because there aren't necessarily any easy answers but I am really pleased to find out that uh psychology the sciences they're on my side and that uh, it is possible to change but yeah buddy thanks for calling and uh i hear ya oh there's a bit more from josh and another thing that i truly love doing but i find it so overwhelming and just very daunting is world building i love creating the world i love um digging into the world and figuring out what the world is and how it's living and breathing and all that but um i i found though what helps me is you know powered by the apocalypse game styles like dungeon world where you ask questions and you use the answers like i get that it sounds like you get to lose that creativity when you ask about the world but really so like for example, I love what you're doing with taking an established map and ignoring the lore for it. You know, using some lore for things that you do like, but just using the map and what's on the map. And then what you do is, you, of course, you will already have your own ideas of how this world is or how this little region is and how this one kingdom is ruled and how it works. But you take those ideas and you form them into questions. So, for example, maybe like the kingdom of Alcor is like 99% human, but then you go and ask, you know, a character. You pick one character and ask them, you know, you know that this kingdom is 99% human, but why is the red beard dwarf king? Now, you've already established that you know that this kingdom is pretty much all human but you also know that for some reason a dwarf is a king of this kingdom but you don't want to go digging and going all crazy and getting overwhelmed with establishing why he is the king that's why you just form those ideas into questions and let your players help you and not only and so when that happens is you get to actually explore the world the same way your players do. Like, you'll be surprised and invested in this world just as much as they are because you guys are helping creating this world. And who knows what kind of answer you'll get when you ask that player that. Because I guarantee you, if you had four or five players and you separately, each, and you asked each one of them that same question in a different room, they'll all have a different answer why that dwarf is the king and um i i definitely think you should you know read up on like dungeon world and how you use conversation in building up the world and the fiction of the game it takes a lot off of you because like i said you could still have your own ideas and things that you want to explore but you allow your players to explore with you. You know, you ask them questions. Like I'm telling you, 
it sounds crazy it sounds like you lose control it sounds like it's you know with someone that needs to know like they, they feel like they need to know literally everything about the game about the world about the monsters it's difficult to just let it go and then just have fun with creating a world together and the lore together but trust me I have a hard time running games because I feel like I need to know literally everything that's in the book same as uh, published adventures I don't run published adventures because my anxiety and all that I feel like I need to know everything that's in that book before I can run it and so I never do and so I don't do published adventures because of that but I find my play style works a lot more whenever I ask these questions and then I use the answers now you don't have to necessarily use the exact answer you just use you can take pieces of it and use it how you need to so the first thing to say Josh is thanks so much for calling in because actually my initial reaction to your your call in really is two well two things first is that sounds like a really cool little world but actually the the main reaction was uh sort of repulsion from that idea and suggestion because me being me now i'm kind of asking myself well why well, what was the difficulty there and um in cognitive behavioral therapy for those who don't know we we have this kind of um this idea that uh rules equal beliefs and around um every kind of behavior that we have as human beings that those behaviors kind of are clues towards the the rules that we're operating by and I just realized that you know sitting here listening to this that one of the rules I have about being a GM is that well there's two actually that kind of came to mind and one of them is that um the GM really should know these things like the questions you're asking there and you're going to the players with I feel that the rule is the GM should know those things or at least the GM should decide those things of course I'm happy as I should do being in therapy to question those rules and um, maybe even do some kind of small scale behavioral experiments in seeing what happens when I break that rule and try uh, an alternative rule but it, interestingly as well there was a secondary thing which was that uh, I, I realized that in a game I don't want to stop the flow of action to talk about the world I feel as though game time is time i guess the rule is that the game time is the time when the players get to play and not where the gm gets to source information for their world and i don't know if that's a reasonable rule to have or not um so i could see me being more comfortable with the idea of sourcing the players between sessions which is something that i perhaps have done on and off more surreptitiously and secretly i suppose than than openly but at the moment, it seems like a, a really big ask to sit at the table uh, mid-session and go, mm, so tell me now, uh, and ask the guys that stuff. It just feels, it makes my skin crawl with fear and uncertainty to actually think about that. Now, all that said, that's not to say that's not a great suggestion, because it probably is, it certainly is for anyone who uh, doesn't hold the same rules that I do about being a GM. And of course, I thank you, Josh, because what you've done is you helped me highlight two of my GM rules. Although I'm initially like rejecting that that idea, and I noticed as well that I noticed in my in my mind that Dungeon World is something whenever it's mentioned to me, I kind of get really edgy as well because I, I don't really understand it. I own the PDF, I've tried to read it a couple of times, and I just 
I just have a block about it. I don't know what it is. So again, there's another challenge there for me to go and actually perhaps work my way through that game system and try and get my head around it. Um, but thank you, Josh. I really, really appreciate the call in. So let's recap. You guys are going to call in and tell me what you think about my 13 GM rules. To help, I thought I'd better collect them together. Rule 1. Playing games should be a positive and exciting experience for everyone at the table. Rule 2. It is the Game Master's responsibility to make sure that the players are having a good time. Rule 3. The GM needs to know everything about the game system and the game world before play begins. Rule 4. The GM should not force the players to play their GM's pre-designed adventure. Rule 5. The player is sovereign over their character. Rule 6. The GM should be prepared to handle whatever choice the players make. Rule 7. The GM should never look stuff up at the table. Rule 8. You should always make honest die rolls. Rule 9. The opposition should always act in a rational and tactically understandable way. Rule 10. The game world needs to make sense to everyone at the table. Rule 11. Players expect you to be able to answer any question they ask. Rule 12. Players expect you to challenge them but ultimately to let them win. Rule 13. It's wrong to kill the player characters. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Roleplay Rescue. If you ever want to get in touch, ask questions or share your point of view, you can leave me a voice message. Just download the Anchor Mobile app, search for Roleplay Rescue and tap on the Messages button to leave yours. Alternatively, you could record your thoughts on your phone and email the sound file to me directly via hello at rpgrescue.com. And that, as they say, is a wrap. I'm Che Webster. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode of Roleplay Rescue. Game on.